this was such a pivotal moment in his life. John felt the calling of God in his life very early on, maybe even while he was still in his mom's womb, if, if we know that story about how he jumped in Elizabeth's womb when Mary showed up pregnant with Jesus. And so in response to this calling in his life, John went off into the wilderness, and there he lived very simply. He spent time studying the ancient scriptures, praying. He discovered the story of the Messiah. He believed it, and then he began to prepare people for the Messiah's coming, and then he met him face to face. And if any of you remember the story of when they met, we discover in that moment of meeting that all of John's studies, his praying, his thoughts on God and on the Messiah took on profound clarity, and he understood the deeper truth of all the things he was trying to understand when he uttered this statement, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God. John understood that God's sword of truth is his words of grace. God's acts of punishment is the cross of mercy. God's judgment is his love. God's Messiah is a lamb slain for the sins of the world. And then as he spent time with the Christ, he learned that the kingdom of God is certainly not like our kingdom. John learned that the kingdom of God is where the least are great, where the lost are found, the last are first, and the dead are truly alive. But of course, at this point in the story, John's disciples haven't yet grasped these things. They want John to be a big deal, and by association, they want themselves to be a big deal. They want this whole thing to be about them. And that is when John makes this great confession. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is spectacular, really, that John says this when he does. In the entire Jesus story, John the Baptist might be the only character who gets it before Christ died and rose again. When everyone else, it took that moment for them to go, oh, this is what Jesus is about. So I've been studying this passage over the years. We, we've talked about it here before in the past at Cana. But now that we're deeply into our Galatians study, this might be the perfect summation of what Paul is getting at when he speaks of walking in the Spirit of being filled with the fruit. Christ must increase and I must decrease because what we're finding in the Galatians story is that to be filled with the fruit, to walk in the spirit, these are not humanly possible things. Well, for Christ to increase and for us to decrease is not humanly possible. This is something that God does in us. This is the power of grace that transforms us and transforms anyone who's choose to live and surrender to God's grace. And so I think that as we turn the corner of our 10th year as a community here at Cana, this confession is maybe a perfect theme for us. Christ must increase, we must decrease. This is actually another way of capturing the overriding vision of Cana that we are always exploring. Love God, love others, everything else is just a footnote. Rich, I think you did that, what? You probably did that eight years ago, maybe nine years ago for us. <coughs> to sum up our vision. I think this is another beautiful way of saying that. For 
It is ultimately in allowing Christ to increase in us, to take over, if you will, that we will most fully live into love of others. Of course, like John's disciples, that's not always easy. It's a truth that often takes a lifetime to really come to terms with, doesn't it? And the challenge is this whole idea of decreasing ourselves. We're not so big on that. We're not. We're taught from an early age to look out for number one, right? And so this goes against that way of living. But here's the thing. Maybe what we need to do is start by reimagining what it means to decrease. Because what happens is words spoken some 2,000 years ago and translated through the centuries can often leave us with words that in our vernacular now mean something far different. Simply because of how we have understood the concept or simply because of how we understand certain concepts, the words become loaded. And we often talk about this here at Cana. For example, I think one of the worst I don't want to call it a marketing campaign because it wasn't a marketing campaign. It was more like a public service announcement. I think the worst thought-out public service announcement ever was the American Heart Association when they came up with quit smoking. And the reason I say that is because of this. In our culture, quitting is a negative thing, right? From the time you're little, don't be a quitter. Don't quit. You know, only, only those people quit. And then the American Heart Association says, hey, let's tell everyone to be quitters. It was a really poorly thought out thing because there's that subconscious. Words are powerful, powerful things. And subconsciously, it's like, well, I don't really want to be a quitter. You know? So that's what I'm getting at. So what's going on here? I sadly have to apologize because I asked Ruben to, Ruben's one of the artists here at Canaan, uh, obviously an amazing artist. You heard him this morning, and then he does things also. He's probably doing an amazing drawing right now. So he did this incredible five minutes. YouTube video for me, but I, I, I got it. I just got it too late to give to Rich, and Rich is the. I don't know how to bring a YouTube video into the PowerPoint. Whenever you see that, that's why Rich does all sorts of fun things with the PowerPoint because I rely on him so much. <laughs> and then instead of like, like if I had let Rich at this one, it probably instead of that lamb would be a picture of me or something. <laughs> you know what he does with this, so that's the problem. So. But Ruben did this amazing thing. I'm going to sh show the video next week, so you want to be here for it. it is, it's a beautiful thing. So what we're going to have to do is go with, instead, I also found this beautiful blog post on this confession of John's. This is a guy named John Bloom, and I think it really captures the beauty of this idea of our decrease and Christ's increase and maybe helps us take it out of this negative word that maybe we have with it. Now, in John Bloom's defense, I sort of paraphrased him. So if somehow, some way he ever hears this, I'm sorry if I just put it in different words. But it's, it's his words. I'm giving you credit, John, whoever you are. When <laughs> he writes, when Christ increases, our love for him increases, and our love of lesser things decreases. And that is good, for when our love for lesser things becomes greater than for Christ, that causes us to live lives governed by fear of losing these lesser gods we love so much. Hmm. Fear. But in Christ, we are invited to live fearless lives. See, that's beautiful, right? That's not a decrease. That's beautiful. Fearless lives. 
When Christ increases, our trust in him increases, and our trust in ourselves decreases. And that is good because trust in ourselves causes us to live lives as prisoners to our circumstances. But in Christ, we are invited to live lives of faith despite our circumstances. I love that. I want to repeat that. When Christ increases, our trust in him increases and our trust in ourselves decreases. And that is good because trust in ourselves causes us to live lives as prisoners to our circumstances. But in Christ, we are invited to live lives of faith despite our circumstances. That is beautiful and powerful. When Christ increases, our faith in his power and willingness to provide our material needs increases and our fear-based efforts to financially secure our own future decreases. And that is good because fear of losing financial security can make us miserable and prevent us from radically giving, from radically ministering to each other, and to the least of these. That, for me, is, is always something that I wrestle with. And it's so good to hear that. But in Christ, we are invited to live free for others and know the blessings of giving even out of our own wants. When Christ increases, our trust in the reality of resurrection increases and our fear of death decreases. And that is good, for when we live in constant fear of death, we spend inordinate amounts of time and energy and resources in preventing death. And when death comes to our loved ones, we are often paralyzed with despair. But in Christ, we are invited to believe that to really to live really is Christ and to die really is gain. Oh, powerful, beautiful. Yes, I think he must increase and we must decrease. And so ultimately, this is how I think we become lovers of God and lovers of each other. So I want to encourage us, let's use this theme for the next 10 years of Canaan. It will be the new, the new seek not your own good, but that of your neighbors. We saw that in Paul's Corinthian letters. In Galatians, which we've been studying, he put it this way, serve one another through love. It's beautiful. Or those of us that like the Cherokee parable, Feed the good wolf. And like all these themes we have used throughout the years at Cana, this is designed to help us live into the Cana vision, which is just the gospel vision. And what I'd like to do now is talk for a few minutes about the Cana vision and about Cana Community Church, seeing that it's our 10th year anniversary. Cana vision is to love God and others. And as we learn to be able to better do this, then it's to help others find their way to doing it better too. What it is, is discovering that God loves us, and in the security of that love, loving him back and loving others. So, our Sunday morning communion service is a place we practice loving God, because love takes practice. And so in the community service, we can come here and practice loving God by singing to him, by talking with him in prayer, by learning about him. These are all things that we can do to practice loving God. 
and we gather with people we are trying to love. Then as our love for each other becomes more real and tangibly Christ-like, we then share with others around us in the worlds we live and move in outside of this community. Our family, our co-workers, our neighbors, etc. And then also as a community, in our world, our church lives and moves in. So it's like this constantly growing sphere of love rooted in our love of God, or more importantly, it's rooted in God's love for us. So I like to picture a stone that you cast in a still pond, and the ripples just keep going, right? Prayerfully, this chain of vision constantly creates ongoing ripple effects in our lives and in the lives of those we touch. So here is how the vision is written in the original language of the Cana story. And, and this is just a very small part of what you can find on, on the website, which is most of the website came out of the original vision documents. So it starts off with love God, love others. We want to be people who love, not in some theoretical or emotional way do we strive to love, but with action, self-giving, hard work, and much sacrifice. Our teaching and studying is wholly concerned with examining the scripture in light of this commandment to love God and love others. We believe Christ when he said, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Therefore, we expect to find the who, what, when, where, and why of this throughout the Bible. In fact, we believe the Bible is designed through God's inspiration to reveal this universal truth. It is our belief that God created us for this, sent his son Jesus to teach us this, and to lay down his life to free us to this, and gave us his Holy Spirit to enable us for this. There's the Galatian story. That's the whole gospel story, right? We can't do this. But if we surrender to his grace, this is what he wants to do in us. Our conversations are designed to further our understanding of this command to love one another. We are engaged in an ongoing dialogue through which we encourage, inspire, and challenge one and all to love the other. And this other is everyone. Certainly the other is the oppressed and marginalized of our greater world. The other is also the poor and outcast within our own society. But ultimately the other is anyone who is our neighbor at any given moment. Often the most pressing need of love today is in the form of forgiveness, understanding, and acceptance that so many crave, yet so many are denied. Our actions are based on the firm conviction that Christ loves, and so should we. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Here at Cana Community Church, we want to be known in this way. Of course, we do fail at times but we remain committed to the overriding belief that authentic human beings love. I think in our world right now, we need this more than anything else. When we are in a world in which someone can walk in to a Jewish temple on a Saturday morning while they are at worship and slaughter them, 
because they are Jews in a Christian country, something has gone far wrong. Just like something went far wrong in another Christian country in the 1930s. And if we as Christians are not making that connection, and if we are giving ourselves any reason to think that it will never happen again, wake up. It is happening. And it is happening in the name of Jesus Christ. And it is disgusting. And I am not talking about politics. But if there is any part of us that can in any way justify hatred, then we are living in fear and we are not living according to the Bible. And the God we worship said, let the foreigners and strangers live amongst you. And as Christians, we are now labeling people that are looking for freedom as invaders. And we are slaughtering people because they're Jewish. I am embarrassed to be associated with a Christianity in a country that somehow thinks this is what Jesus Christ would want. They were doing this. This. God, help us all. Fear has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Nothing. And I am finding in using this parable that we have used from the Cherokee Nation about two wolves, I am finding every time the bad wolf in me is raging, it is purely based in fear. And the more I discover that truth, the more I am begging God to take all fear out of my life. And it is working. Not in big ways. You're not going to ever see me as the next Mother Teresa. But in little ways that if you knew me well enough, you would know, oh, that's different. Inch by inch, step by step, and it's not me. But what I'm trying to do is deal with the real issue, which is fear. Why are we afraid? We're kings and queens of God's kingdom. Why are we afraid? Because we worship lesser gods. That's why. Lesser gods of having more, being rich, being this, being that. Back to Cana. Sorry, but I, yesterday caused me to have to talk about that. We have got to wake up as Christians. We have to. 
And if our Christianity is not informing our worldview, then it's time to rediscover what our Christianity really is. We are to be kings and queens of a kingdom that includes all. And our allegiance is to be to that kingdom and only that kingdom. It's to be love. So, as a community, as a church, to move forward, I want to talk about it a little bit. And uh, my notes are pretty vague at this point because I just want to talk. Because I think this is the place that all of us can learn to allow God to transform us and let Christ increase and ourselves decrease is right in community. There are two ways to think about church. One is, or I should say, I, I don't want to say that. I want to say there's two questions we can have when we're coming to church. We can have, I'm going to church because I want to be loved. We can have, I'm going to church because I want to love. Now, wanting to be loved is not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. Because when we want to be loved, if we want to be loved desperately enough and we pursue it in its purest form, what we're going to find is this. It's the most natural desire, but here's the beauty. It's already fulfilled because we are loved. God loving us all. He always has and he always will. So there's nothing wrong with that desire. And there are always times in our lives and seasons in our lives when each of us want and need to be loved. And there's nothing wrong with that either. And we need it tangibly from others. We lose sight of the big picture that God really does love us, and so we need to be tangibly loved. Thank God for community and churches that can open their doors and invite anyone in and love them right where they're at and give them what they need. Last night, Eric sort of talked about his experience with Cana, and I am thankful for that part of Cana. I never want Cana not to be that. And I think through the years, we have been that, and it's been beautiful. A vision I had a, a while ago I shared with the Sherpers was we're like this halfway house on a long journey of pilgrimage. And when you're on a pilgrimage, you need halfway houses because there comes a point in everyone's pilgrimage, you can't walk anymore. And you need someone else to walk with you and help you, and you need rest, and you need to sleep, and you need good food, and you need real love, and then you get filled up, and then you go on on your journey. And that is beautiful. And I never want Cana not to be that. And I feel we've been that a lot. We could go, you know, you, you see pictures of, last night we were watching videos, even that morning video, if you were here in time to see it, there have been so many people that have come and gone to Cana. And we pray that their lives were touched here and that they're touching others now, and that's beautiful. And I never not want that. And whenever you are in a season where you need to come here and just be loved on, God bless you, and we will love on you. But here's the interesting thing about halfway houses. If they're just empty buildings, they're not halfway houses anymore. Pilgrims come in off the road, and they need to be loved. House can't give them love. People can. And this is where churches turn from being something that gets used to being something filled with something far more beautiful. 
And I guess what I want to ask us, those of us who are committed to kingdom, we need to be here for those pilgrims. All of us. We're a family. And families commit to each other. And if family's going to last, that's why you stay together. Because you're committed to each other. Period. My folks celebrated 60 years of marriage a couple weeks ago. For one reason. They were committed to being married. Period. Not because they're special. Not because they had starry-eyed, wonderful love. Not because my father or my mother ever didn't want to leave. Because they were committed. Period. If we're going to be a, a halfway house and a beautiful light, that's all. We need to be committed. And when we need time not to be one of those caregivers, great. But the rest of the time, we need to be caregivers and hear from each other. And this is how we even prepare for God to increase in us and for ourselves to decrease. Is when we come to church on a Sunday morning, or any time through the week when we're getting with other people, we walk through the door and we say, who can I love? Not who's going to love me, but who can I love? There was a young woman that was visiting us this past summer. And I think she came five or six times. And... Um, couple times at peacetime, I would, you know, I'm doing my cleaning up, and I would look out, and I would see her sitting by herself while the rest of us caught up with each other. She hasn't been back in about two months, and I don't know if that's the case. I have reached out, um, but I haven't heard. So I'm not saying that's the case. But all I know is this. If we are part of the caregivers and we are the family, and there's someone here that we don't know, that's who we should be going to at peacetime. Not catching up with our friends. We'll catch up. We're family. And if we as family, some days are feeling despondent and we're not into loving others and we want to sit alone, okay, like Dave, Dave would like to sit alone most of the time. And that's okay. If they sing alone, don't go love on them. <laughs> that will cause more stress and anxiety. But what I'm getting at is this. When it's pilgrims, 
let's do a better job. But when it's ourselves, here's what we should be doing. Even if we need to be loved, we're family. Just go and show love. And this is the great mystery of God's kingdom. You ready? You know when Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven? And we've looked at this so much. That's not an imperative thing. That's an indicative thing. And what Jesus was saying was this. If you believe in forgiveness, you're going to forgive. And if you believe in forgiveness, therefore, you're going to be receiving forgiveness. And if you won't forgive someone else, that means ultimately you don't believe in forgiveness. And therefore, how can you receive forgiveness? See that? That's it. So here's the great mystery of this. If you want to be loved, go and love someone. And again, I'm not talking about the pilgrims. I'm not talking when you're completely broken or someone's completely devastated and they need time. Let's go get with them. But those of us that are family, you want to be loved? Then go and love someone. Go sit with someone and love them. The enemy of souls has a great trick. He'll make us feel like we deserve so much. And if no one's loving us, it's everybody else's fault. That is one thing the devil does all the time. If we want to be loved, loved. Please. And you'll find love. So I know I've gone way too far, but I hope what I've said has somehow made sense. For the next 10 years or however long God gives this community, 10 days, 10 months, 10 years, 10 decades. Let's try to let Christ increase and us decrease. But we can't do that. We just have to open up to that. And so if we start believing in love and believing this is what God wants, that's the first step. If you don't believe in love, and God's never going to be able to do this. That's our role. Our role isn't creating fruit. Our role isn't making Christ. Our role is believing in it. And believing in it and believing in it. And telling God, take away my fear so I can believe in this. And whatever the strongholds are in your life, for whatever reason, we have strongholds about hate and lack of forgiveness and not wanting to help others at a personal level, or a community level, or a national level, or a world level, tell God to break those down. They are not of God. They're of Satan. They're evil. And those little strongholds that we have, any little thought in our mind of hate and lack of forgiveness, will someday put a gun in your hand. And you'll find yourself somewhere killing someone who God died for just because of fear. No matter how you dress it up, it's fear. This is an exciting time for Cana. It was really beautiful last night. I'm really excited for what God's going to do in the future. And I hope we can, through weekly communion services and all the other myriad ways God calls us individually and collectively to be together and to be his light in the world. 
if we can allow Christ to increase and ourselves to decrease, if we can put each other needs ahead of our own, if we can forgive one another, if we can encourage one another, if we can live into one another, even during the messiest of times, the cane of vision is going to spread amongst ourselves and among the world we live in. I know this because it already has. Ten years. It has. It has. And I have a folder full of emails in my computer from folks at Gainer and from folks, a lot of folks who have come and since left Cana, telling me how Cana has changed their lives for the better. And last night we heard some beautiful stories about it as well. Please, if you are family at Cana, if you're visitors, come back and be family. <laughs> but if you're family at Cana, please, let's covenant together to just keep on rambling down this road stumbling even when we have to, tangling, because that's all tangle is. We fall forward and then we fall back a couple times. Let's just dance together. Be pilgrims of loving God and loving others by letting Christ increase and ourselves decrease. Amen. Is it getting better? Or do you feel the same? Will it make it easier on you now? You got someone to blame. You say, won't love, won't life when it's one. Whoa!